You're listening to a sermon from New Hill Church. We pray that this message helps you to put Jesus into perspective. If you have questions about a relationship with Jesus or about this sermon, please email us at engage at newhilloh.com. As we look at this text this morning, Malachi 1, again, the last book of the Old Testament, we get this, this main point out of these first five verses um, that we, we know and we understand, but there's some nuances that are they're pretty important to us, um, either to believe or to share with the world. So the main point for us this morning is that God loves His people. God loves His people. The nuance here is His people. Now, not everybody is His people. That doesn't mean that He's not the creator of all things, but it does indeed point us to the fact of the, the uh, adoption, right? That you can't get around adoption. We talk about the doctrine of adoption, and then we go around and we say, like, everybody's children of God. And that doesn't, we're not trying to take away from the sentiment that God has a general love for all of his creation, but it's no different than like if you asked me to do something for your kid, and I'd be like, I'm not changing your kid's diaper, but I'll change my kid's diaper, right? Like, that's my kid. Like, I love my kid that much that I would go into that kind of mess. And believe me, you parents know it can be messy. That's something I do for my children because I have that kind of love for them. Now, I've got a, a love for all of your old kids where, like, I would get them out of harm's way, right? Like, I'm not going to, like, sit and, like, watch something happen to them. I'm not going to sit there and, like, watch someone else eat their cookies. I'll eat their cookies, but I'm not going to, like, there's, like, a general love, and then there's this, this, for God, salvific love, right? Just like there's common grace that everybody experiences, and then there's saving grace that God actively pursues his people and saves them. So we have to begin to understand this nuance. One, for us to be comforted and assured of the love of the Savior who died for you, his people. And then when we go out on mission, to not make it seem like, yeah, you're protected, you have nothing to worry about. No. If you do not believe the gospel, you need to believe it and therefore be adopted into the family. And the beauty of adoption is you're not treated like another kid in the home. You're treated like one of God's own. And that's what we need to understand this morning, especially from this text, is that God loves his people. I've got three points for us to drive that, that main point home, that God loves his people. And that's declares, deals, and dons on, or dons upon, whichever way you want to word it. From West Virginia, I don't really always know the best way to word things, but I can tell you it's don, or declares, deals, dons on. That's what we're going to go with this morning. The first point is declares. The book of Malachi begins with this declaration from the Lord, verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Jacob Esau's, or is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob. It begins with this declaration from the Lord. I have loved you. And again, the context here, just to, to kind of hit it home for us this morning, that way we can pick up on it, is that they've come out of Babylonian captivity about 100 years ago. And that captivity had gone on for a very, very long time, right? So you begin to understand that. You begin to piece the puzzle together. And when you go back and you read Ezra and Nehemiah, which we preached through last year, again, Nehemiah, you can go back and listen to that, you see this huge effort to push forward and rebuild. And they're trying to rebuild and get back to a place of worship of the Lord, only for this generation to fall back into the sin and lackadaisical worship of their ancestors. Literally, like, you all know like that work, like you like put something together, you do all this hard work, 
And it was all for nothing. Like God has, has brought his people out of captivity. He's protected his people. You read Nehemiah and, and you look at the adversity that they faced while trying to rebuild the wall, not because it was some wall, but because they knew if they put the wall up that God's people would begin worshiping God again. And yet here we are. The very last book of the Old Testament starting with this rebuke. And, and believe me, it continues to build and build because God is trying to get his people back. He sent prophet after prophet to bring his people back into true worship of who he is. Worshiping him as God of all creation. So we pick up here with the Lord assuring them, really reassuring them, that not only do I love you currently, but I have loved you. Like to the basis where he's like, I don't even know how you got to the point of questioning my love for you. I have loved you. I've been loving you. Men, like you all, you all know that. Like I didn't like write this illustration down because I was like, Aubrey's going to be here and she like took the morning off. But like now I can, like that's like a point of contention. I think it is for most of us men where it's like, you like don't, you don't show your affection to me like Michael. And I'm like, Pull out my like list here, the scroll, and I like open it up and like said thank you and I'm grateful for you at 9:04 a.m. on Tuesday morning. At 9:07, I told you sorry for nothing. At 9:10, I and like I, we go down like this list, and of course we know that we love each other. Like Aubrey's gonna listen to this and be like, I hope like people understand. No, like everybody knows. Like we we go through those moments where it's like we don't feel the affection, and God's like, don't you remember? Do you not remember all the love that I have for you? Like look. The response to God saying, I have loved you, says, but you say, how? How have you loved us? And this is a lot like how fitting it is to have our, our kiddos in here because this is actually those like childish moments from our children, like the real petty, petty moments. Like your, your kid begins to question your love because you didn't let them like get that extra sucker at night, like that extra sugar right before bed. And like I see all the kiddos like, oh yeah, like I could go for some like sugar right about now. And like I remember the, this moment with Maylee, it's my four-year-old, it's my oldest daughter. I remember this moment where like I didn't let her get a, a cookie bed and she still had like sugar and chocolate all over her face and like no like my love isn't like shown through like the giving of sweets but like when I saw the sweets still on her face and she's complaining about not getting that extra one and then says you don't love me and I'm like you're like at that point like two I'm like how do you even form a sentence like that stop like and I'm like what do you mean I don't love you do you not know there's a roof over your head and it's raining outside? Do you not know that the heat is on to 55 and it's 40 outside? You could be much colder than you are inside right now. Like, I'm, I'm blessing you. You think I don't love you? And it's like this real, like, petty instance. And the funny thing is, is how aggravated do we get when our kiddos do it, not only did we do it to our parents, our kids do it to us, and we're going through that, but we still do it to God. And he's given a declaration, not just vocally speaking and saying here in Malachi, I have loved you, but through action, he's declared his love. Bringing them out of captivity, getting us through 2020. 
Praise the Lord, we're out of it. And we can look back, and as miserable as that year felt at times, we see God's hand all over the place. And it should lead us to nothing but the glorification of the one true God. But instead, we sit here and we would say, how have you loved us? And he starts to give them some examples, but really leading them into, think about it, right? The I don't know, you tell me. How how have you loved us? I don't know, you tell me. For them, the moment God started talking about Jacob and Esau, they would start thinking about all the Old Testament scriptures. They would think about the the fact that they were just led out of Babylonian captivity. They would think about, how about the time that God led them out of the captivity of Pharaoh? You talk about 400 years of captivity there. And you think about all the times and trying times that they had. They weren't able to worship God. They They were just a mess. And they were away from the place that God had given them, Jerusalem. They were away from the place that God had called them to worship. They were away from God himself. And he provided a way. And here we are. How have you loved us? And for us today, it seems easy to laugh at the Israelites, right? We get to sit and we look at the scriptures and we're like, foolish Israelites. God did so much for them. I would never forget God doing something like that for me, right? We too, if we're being realistic, we're the same way. We're absolutely the same way. We question God and his love for us on a regular basis, and it's our fallen nature that'll lead us to do that. And our insecurities making us feel as though we are alone and have no hope. We feel isolated. 2020 probably led a lot of us into those moments where we felt isolated from the world, from our church family, from our biological families, from from everyone. And it makes us not question the world, not question the fallen nature of the world, not question the sins of the world, but we begin to question God who is holy. This feeling cannot, absolutely cannot be true for God's people. Sword drill. Kiddo. One kiddo, can you bring me Romans 5.8? Parents, again, you can help. Romans 5.8. Just bring the Bible up to me and I'll, I'll read it and send you on your way. Romans 5.8. Church, this feeling of isolation, this feeling that, that God has not loved us as Christians, believers in the gospel, cannot be true. You got Romans 5.8 for me? Awesome. Here, let me see that. Awesome. Here you go. And if you stay up here real quick, I'll give you your Bible back. I lost the page, I'm sorry. Now I got to do a sword drill. Luckily, it's got the tabs on the side here. It doesn't seem to be helping me. I should have you find it again. You found it so fast. Romans 5.8 says this, Christ died for us while we were still sinners. This demonstrates God's love for us. Thank you so much. And some of your old renderings might say, while we were sinners. God showed his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Not while you were actively pursuing Christ, he decided I'm going to bring him along for the ride. Not while you were being good enough, God said, 
I'm going to take him along for the ride. Not while you were dressed nice enough. He said, he'll look good in the family shoot. Not anything other than his love. It says, while we were still sinners. Now imagine this. Someone hates you. Hates you. Never done anything good for you. Doesn't want to know you. Desires nothing from you. Would you die for them? No. We don't even want to like look in someone's direction if they despise us or have even like cut us off on the road. All we want to do is just get up and ride their tail and like read their bumper stickers that say if you if you can read this, you're too close and like we just get even more mad. It says from God's word that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. As Christians, look, they were looking forward to the Messiah and kept missing the mark and falling away from the true worship of the true God. We get to look back at what Christ has accomplished. We really have no excuse. We laugh at the Israelites. How foolish we are. How foolish I am to ever question God's love when I have a passage like Romans 5, 8, a full understanding of the good news that says, while I was a sinner... That means opposing God on opposite ends of the spectrum. Christ died for me. Christ died for his people while we were sinners. And it leads us into this understanding that God deals as God pleases. That's point two. Deals. God is is the card dealer here. He's the one in charge. He's sovereign. Amen, church? Do we believe that God does as he pleases? Yes. We absolutely do. God is dealing out as he pleases. And what is so comforting and assuring to us as believers is that it is all in God's hands. Now, I don't mean that that means don't, don't take responsibility. Like Nelson said earlier, we were making a conscious effort this morning to worship God. You made that, that effort and that decision to get up this morning and go. We can't just fall back and say, God's got it all in his hands. I don't have to do anything. But I do know that God is in control of all things. Now, before we jump into these next few verses, let me say that I understand that this passage is difficult. If you have questions, this would be the time to write them down, and it would be a great thing for uh, Pastor Gary and I to, to blog about or do our podcast about. Any questions you have in this passage, and you can always do that, go to newhilloh.com ask, because this passage is difficult. A lot of churches, I'm not like bragging about me, I just am showing you that we love God's Word. A lot of pa- or churches just don't tackle this. It's a difficult passage. Verse 2 and 3. This is why it's difficult. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. One way the Israelites can see the love of God is by looking at the other side. You think you got it bad. Look at the enemy. Church, if you know Jesus, you know your eternity is secure. If you know Jesus, you also know you're going to face persecution. It's not a question. It's not an option. You will face persecution in this life. But your eternity in Christ is secured. The enemy's is not. The enemy will be laid to the wayside. You think he, you think he hates you? You question God's love for you? Look at the enemy. Those opposed to God, not living for God, and will die not knowing God. What does it say about him? He hates. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Now why I say that's so difficult is because in American Christianity we've built up this idea that God is this all-loving. But God specifically says, he doesn't hate you for you. 
He hates those who are against him and die not knowing him. That was the case with Esau. Esau was not a part of God's people. Esau was the one who deserved the birthright, but God chose Jacob for his glory. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. You can look up the Hebrew, we can try and get around it, we can bring out a lexicon, right? It's not going to change it. He hated it. And actually, it reminds me, as a parent, and a lot of you all know this, I get that same hateful feeling when I hear, any parent know what I'm talking about? No? Peppa Pig? No parent? No pa- okay, I see some, some parents pointing. Yeah, it's a, we got some Peppa Pig. I hear that, and I despise it, right? Like, I'm like, like, just like God with Esau, I'm like, Peppa Pig is a part of the Edomites, right? Like, there's no way that Peppa Pig is, like, living for Jesus. There's just something that is a cartoon, by the way. That's why I can say that. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying the character, the voice of Peppa Pig, but Peppa Pig, man, I hear that, and and my kids will just like light up, like even ever, like, like real goofy looking smile for that. So how do we understand this verse, church? Seriously, this, yeah, mama pig, I hear it, and that's all good, yeah. We love having kiddos in here. I do these illustrations and get them going, it's my own fault. Um, so how do we understand this verse? It says, Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. Now this is what becomes difficult because it's not Michael believes in the doctrines of grace and he's some crazy guy and, and he's just trying to follow this, this thing that uh, Calvin instituted. It's not it. This is that I come across verses like this and I say, what is God saying? Not what is Michael saying? Not what is um, this guy saying? What's, what's uh, Stephen Furtick saying, what's Matt Chandler saying, what's John Piper saying, what's um, Joel Osteen saying. I'm not looking at any of that. I might turn to some brothers who point me to God's Word, but I only want to be directed toward God's Word. And here it says, Jacob I loved, Esau I've hated. How do we best understand the doctrines of grace? Simply that God chose Jacob to be his people. He chose him to be his people. He chose him to be part of the covenantal promises. God gave, not chose, God gave Esau to his own sin and laid him to the wayside. God gave Esau to what he was doing, and he redeemed Jacob from what he was doing. He says, Esau, no, you deserve the birthright, but I'm choosing Jacob to be my people. And again, this will like lead us into like a complete headache, but God's word says it. The doctrine, doctrine of election is indeed the most humbling to us, the wretched sinners, to me first. Who? While we were still, still sinners, listen to this, this humbles us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Romans 9, Paul deals with this. And church, the focus is not to be on Esau, the focus is to be on the fact that why does he love Jacob? We could spend all this time saying, why did he hate Esau? The fact is, he should hate all of us. And that's crazy, right? We tell our kids, we say, don't hate. And we shouldn't hate. We should hate that which is against God. Sin, right? But God says those against him, at the end of the day, says he hates. It's difficult. It's tough to swallow. We want to be so loving. But what this points us to is the fact that Christ 
is calling his people. Why did he love Jacob? That's the question. Why does he love me? Because he decided to make Jacob his covenant people. It wasn't anything Jacob did. Romans 9 says it wasn't that that they had done either good or bad before they were born. This was God's plan. So when we look around and think, does God love me? If you're a believer, if you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can boldly say, yes, yes. Church, you can boldly say, yes. Because what this points us to is not... Not the hatred of Esau, but the love of Jacob. Going back to the original question, how have you loved us? And he says, is not Esau Jacob's brother? I've laid them to the wayside. Can you not see the difference in you and those against me? You are my people. Verse 4, if Edom says we are shattered, but uh, we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may rebuild, but I'll tear it down. That's how I like to read it anyways. They may rebuild, but I'll tear it down. And they will be called the wicked country. And the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. They can't even rebuild. And we can look to this day. We look in history and we see Israel's been rebuilt and the Edomites are gone in history. This isn't God hating whomever, but simply those against Him. That which is against Him. Church, we are called to be holy as He is holy. And anything outside of that is not only hated by God, but also hates God back. The feeling's mutual. We like to think that it's this, I love God so much, I love God so much, but... He hates me? No. Those who hate God, you can be assured, the, mutual, the feeling is mutual. It's difficult, but it's God's Word. And God's people, when they see this, it will dawn upon them. It will dawn on them that God does indeed love them. Verse 5, Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. So they'll see this. They'll look and see that the Edomites cannot rebuild, but they indeed have. They can look around them. They'll see it one day, and they will say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Not only is he sovereign to his people, to his nation, to us today, church, those who believe, but he is sovereign over all creation. Everything is in his hands, and there's nothing that he is surprised about. So where does this lead us this morning? It leads us as believers to be assured that God does indeed love you. Ben, you can go ahead and come back up this morning. God does indeed love you. He called you, chose you, foreknew you. And the beauty of that is that it doesn't rest in you. But it does call you to obedience. And it should lead us into a a more right standing of worship, a better view of Jesus, putting him into perspective. That if you believe in the gospel, you've got nothing, nothing to doubt about God's love for you. That while you were a sinner, while I was a sinner, while I was sinning, Christ died for me. And there's nothing that can separate me from the love of Christ because He died for me and saved me. Now what that means for us in going out is that we need to call people into this relationship with Christ. Because we know that one day, just as they saw, we will see the day of judgment. 
And we will see people being separated from God for eternity. Again, the difficult passage, but the feeling is mutual. We love because He first loved us. It's not the other way around. We need to go tell people about the love of Jesus and point them to the cross and tell them what Jesus did and that by belief in that, they could be saved and not be destroyed. That is the only hope that we have in this world. And I pray this morning, church, that that we would leave here and this would draw us closer to Christ as it should. And let me tell you something. If, If there's points and nuances, things that you've just really not been able to grasp or don't fully agree with on me this morning, let me say, walk away no matter what being assured that God loves you because he died for you if you are a believer. And that's great news. Not just good news. That's great news.